Hello, a chroeso i rifyn arall o bodlediad Chorion Cymru. Owen hathwyr ydw i, penaeth diniadaeth a pholisi yn Chorion Cymru, a heddiw mae Dr. Larissa Davies yn ymuno am mi. Mae Larissa yn darllenydd mewn rheoli chorion yng Ngolfan ymchwil y diwydiant chorion ym Rhifysgol Sheffield Halem. Mae ymchwil yn canolbwyntio ar effaith economaidd a chymdeithasol chorion, hamdden a digwyddiadau mawr. Mae hi wedi arbenigo mewn defnyddio dadansoddiadau enillion cymdeithasol ar fysoddiadau i fesur gwerth chorion a gweithgaredd corfforol gan gynnwys cynhyrchu'r gwerthusiad cantyfyrioed o chorion yng Nghymru a gyhoeddwyd yn 2018. As indicated in the introduction, your expertise is, in, amongst other things, uh, looking at social return on investment in sport, and that's going to be the theme of today's podcast. So for those who are perhaps not clear exactly what we mean by that, can you give us a bit of an overview of what an SRI study is and what it's sort of trying to measure? Yeah, of course. Um, so an SRI study, a social return on investment study, is essentially a, a framework for um, measuring and putting a value on the wider um, impacts and benefits of sport or sport and physical activity. So um, it essentially measures those things that are non-financial that are difficult to measure, difficult to put a value on. So what we call in economics terms non-tradable effects, but those things that that you can't purchase and buy. Um, So examples of of non-market benefits in the context of this work, for example, would be um, the benefits or the impacts of sport on things like health, on um, crime, on um, education. So there's wider benefits in society that are basically difficult to measure. Uh, And obviously to to some people this would be maybe familiar, but to the vast majority of people, I think it probably is sort of a new and emerging trend of of research and evaluation. Mm. How common is this in the sports sector and beyond? You know, is it something Mm. we are seeing internationally and is it something we are perhaps seeing more and more buy into as a form of evaluating those non-tangible things? I think it's um, it's fair to say that it's a relatively new approach to um, to measuring and putting a value on the, the benefits of sport, um, not only in Wales but but more generally in the sector within the UK and also internationally. Um, there's a, a historic trend when we're putting a value on sport to focus on primarily the economic benefits or the economic impacts. So, for example, how many jobs sport creates or the value to um, the economy or how, um, how much people spend and how that equates to a value in terms of economics and, and pounds. Um, increasingly, we've seen um, demand from um, various stakeholders within sport to try and get a sense of what those wider impacts are because the, the financial part of sport is a relatively small part, we've found. So um, we, we developed a method uh, back in 2015 that um, put that monetary value on those wider benefits. Um, it's something that um, we've developed and we've used to put a value on sport in England and it, it's work that we are um, trying to develop internationally as well. But certainly within um, sport, both within the UK and internationally, there is a much greater interest in putting a value on those wider benefits. And I think what our research has shown is actually the wider social benefits and impacts of sport are much greater than the economic benefits anyway. So in terms of of making the case for the the good and the benefits that sport does, it's a very important part of of the overall uh, measurement and, and message. 
So I'm particularly excited about that idea of mm. you know, how we value the things that are beyond the transactional, if you will, mm. particularly around sport and arts and culture and these different mm. ideas that are perhaps not as tangible and therefore at times not as uh, explicitly valued by decision makers, policy makers, the mm. public even. Um, one of the criticisms maybe of SROI, um, just to get your view on this, is mm. by creating a value a monetary value for those areas, it can potentially lead people to actually focus on that number rather mm. than the way in which that number shows the contribution sport might make mm. rather than the attribution of, of it as a uh, as a product. You know, what's your view on that as a criticism, and and perhaps mm. you know is that a misreading of S or Y in terms mm. of what it can be used for to mm. to improve rather than improve perhaps? Mm. Mm. Um. Yeah, there's quite a lot, of, a lot of things to come back at you with uh, in, in that question and, and statement, I guess. Um, I suppose uh, to address one of your first points, which is about you know putting a monetary value on those things that are essentially non-financial, non-monetary, um, I think it is challenging to do that methodologically. But I think it's quite important when trying to get the message about the contribution that sport makes across to other policymakers, across to government, across to other stakeholders, because in other sectors, similar methods and evaluations are used. So almost to be around the table and having that discussion about the contribution that sport can make, it's necessary to put some kind of monetary financial value on it. And this method and the, the work that we've done for you in Sport Wales, uh, for Sport Wales has enabled us to do that. So I think in terms of a a tool for demonstrating value I think that's very important but I think the point you make is right in terms of there's a danger of um, it then being reduced to just the monetary value and I think the thing about sport which um, to some extent we we capture through some of the measures we use in social return investment so for example we put a value on um, the improvement to people's subjective well-being that to their life satisfaction to their happiness um, it's important to put a monetary value on that, but but not to take away from the underlying um, life-changing um, effects and stories that sit behind that. So an important part of an SRI is not just putting the monetary value on, on those outcomes, but actually speaking to and engaging with stakeholders and talking to, to people about what changes for them and also embedding and incorporating those case studies and in stories if you like with the numbers and, and do you think and I, i'm sure the answer from you would be <laughs> yes to this but is it more relevant now just to look at those sort of non-transactional issues in, in terms of identifying the value against a backdrop of say new zealand looking at a well-being agenda rather than their gdpr as a primary focus of government mm. future generations act here in yeah. wales putting those sort of issues is it uh, potentially something you're seeing internationally that this is a sort of um, things we're valuing more and more in terms of our happiness rather than just those yeah. financial issues of an economic driver absolutely and i think the driver and the push um, certainly from um from policy and practice is definitely coming from that perspective. So um, it, it's about the importance of sports to people's lives, not just to how much money it might put in, in the pocket of government or sports organisations or individuals. Um, I think you know that, that contribution that sport makes through those wider impacts is really significant. And, and to come back to a point you mentioned a moment ago about... Um, 
you know, using this kind of evaluation to to improve, if you like. What what a study like this does is it, it puts a monetary value on um, sport and physical activity. But really, it's not. Uh, that's not an end in itself. The idea is that that then this type of study and evaluation can be used to identify those areas that sport can contribute to, and then used to leverage funding to create further improvement. So you're not just proving what the value of sport is; you're using this type of study to then improve on the value that sport can create. So some people will be listening to this thinking that's great. What, <laughs> what's the the practical outcomes for Wales, if you will. So thankfully, you've done that piece of work, so we do know we have that for Wales. Before we get into the actual detail of mm. it, um, on its sort of the high, uh, high levels, um, just some reflections. Did you, because you've done this as well mm. for England, yep. was there any particular challenges or opportunities or barriers in terms of looking at it in a Welsh context that you'd, you'd had from previously doing it in an English context or, or in other areas? Um, challenges. I think uh, every time we do a study in a different context, it is slightly different. So the the outcomes may be similar, but the um, the detail and the data sources that we would use for Wales would obviously be different um, different to England. I think the the great thing about the study we did in Wales was it enabled us to move the previous work we did for um, for England in 2015 on. Um, what we what we were able to do because of um, uh, advancements in the evidence base around the wider benefits of sport for the Welsh study was to include three outcomes that we hadn't previously included in the England study. So um, we included um, uh, measures for mental health, for example, um, around depression and reduced use of um, psychotherapy services, which we hadn't previously been able to include in the English study. So that that was great. It, it there's this because this this work is in such early stages relative to um, research that measures the economic impact and importance of sport. Um, it's developing all the time. So it was really great to be able to move the work on in Wales and to try and um, put a value on some even more more of those wider benefits than, than we've done previously. And we certainly benefited from having that more enhanced, more rounded picture. Yeah. Do you want to just have a look at some of the headline figures then and tell us broad terms of what did actually we find out from doing this piece of work in Wales? Yeah, sure. So um, the the high level, if you like, um, overarching um, um, findings that, that we found for Wales was that the, the value of, um, the social value of sport was uh, 3.4 billion, which is obviously a significant number. Um, in terms of how that broke down across different outcome areas, um, interestingly, we found that the biggest impact and value was created around um, improved subjective well-being, um, and the measure used for that was um, people's improved life satisfaction. So it was very much an individual personal benefit, um, and we found that sixty percent of the sixty percent of that three point four billion was was created through um, through subjective well-being. So that was that was two billion pounds worth of um, value, which was significant. And I think that probably reflects on. What you were saying previously around this opening doors for conversations, because mm. I don't think anyone would have any uh, alternative view that sport does actually increase your happiness if you're you know, enjoying participating mm. in sport. But obviously, by having that sort of tangible figure, it opened up some conversations we can have then with the health sector, with mm. 
other areas uh, in schools and so forth about actually showcasing the benefit of sport and how we can have continued discussions around it being at the start of perhaps interventions mm. rather than an add-on at the end. I think that's one of the key things that I've taken away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And well-being, again, in policy terms is still a relatively new new area. But it's clear that, that things like sport and, you know, we could go as far as to assume there are or maybe similar benefits in cultural activities, that actually in terms of people's quality of life, it's very important and, and that has a value, that can be equated to a monetary value for people. So the, the underlying methods, if you like, that we used to derive that value were based on the equivalent um, income that people would need to um, earn or receive to have equivalent happiness or, or life satisfaction so you know there is a real you know you, people would have to earn a lot more income to get equivalent life satisfaction that they do from participating and engaging in sport uh, and obviously <laughs> to, to earn that income you're doing less time in your leisure and then yeah. it's obviously decreasing that satisfaction isn't Absolutely. it in terms of the actual city are these exhaustive sums or was there anything particular that was left out or that may have either enhanced the figures or mm. reduced the figures potentially yeah. well it's interesting that you ask that question because actually the the, the outcomes that we've valued within the um, the social return and investment are the outcomes that we um, have evidence for at a population national level um, so we only valued and measured those things that we were confident that, that there was sufficient robust evidence to do so the the impact or result of that is that there are probably lots of impacts that sport has that we weren't actually able to capture and put a monetary value on so what I would say is that the 3.4 billion is actually a conservative estimate uh, rather than a you know a generous one so there will be things within there for example we um, we didn't manage to put a value on the uh, the benefits of sport for musculoskeletal health because we didn't have sufficient evidence to do that but we know there are benefits so I think there are certainly outcomes within there that we could possibly measure in the future should that evidence become available. And does that maybe echo then the previous comments you made about this still being an emerging uh, type of evaluation and obviously yeah. the more we repeat this the more actually we can bring that evidence base in to enhance the findings. Yeah and I think it's not just about repeating the, the overall arching framework and study like this but it's about building the evidence within each outcome area. So um, if, if we look at um, crime, for example, we've been very conservative about the benefits that sport has in relation to crime. So we focused um, only on uh, males aged 18 to 24 because that's where we felt there was sufficient evidence um, you know, to be able to put a value on that. But um, you know, we, we've looked at evidence, quite a lot of evidence, intervention level in relation to crime-related programmes that, that demonstrates that the impact of sport is even greater. So it's about trying to build that evidence base within the outcome areas to a to sufficient level that we can then put it in, um, put more, more outcomes in at the national level. And is that then that there's not enough evidence being undertaken by organisations and sectors at a population level within these fields, yeah. um, or is it that it's just not being published? Or it, it may be both. I guess we we don't, we don't always know what's out there if it's not being published. I suppose. Um, I think the challenge is that um, obviously we're trying to capture value at the national level here, 
whereas a lot of, particularly in something like crime, a lot of the interventions are local level, and perhaps those interventions will be evaluated in different ways. So to try and bring all that evidence together in some kind of a meta-analysis and then incorporate it at the the national level is quite difficult. So we have to be quite conservative and reserved in our judgment to be careful we're not either double counting or over counting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's probably more, more the former of those things that you mentioned. It's probably not having enough evidence that's then brought up and amalgamated at the national level. So, so one of the things we've touched on is that this is contribution and attribution and it's certainly a uh, as you said, it's the opportunity then to speak to policymakers, open those doors around where mm. spoken be of benefit and, and sort of improve the offer. Um, as a result of that, do you think that actually um, that, that contribution conversation, the fact that it's a conservative estimate makes it a little bit easier to have because you can have more uh, rigour in the actual detail that's in there rather than potentially including some figures that mm. might be worthy of being warranted but actually without that evidence base to fully back them up it would it was easier to downplay the, uh, yeah. the impact of sport in order to uh, upplay the actual way we can work with different policymakers in future absolutely i think it's it's really important from a piece of work like this that you can have confidence that you're speaking to policymakers and to, to other areas knowing that the evidence that you're talking about is robust and credible so I think it, it's really important from that point of view to be conservative and to be also transparent in terms of what you have and haven't included. Mm. Um, and I think that opens doors. I think one of the really um, valuable things about doing a piece of work like this is not only does it enable you to um, justify what you do um, and to justify use of public funds to invest in, in sports activities, but it also um, gives you the the evidence to go to those other policy areas and sectors and say, look, this is the difference that sport makes. You know, help us and, and support us to do more of this and we will create more social value. So I think it's it's um, you know, an excellent opportunity to use a piece of work like this to leverage and to lever um, funds and open doors to other areas. So having spoken about how there's this piece of work has moved on from when you've done the English model because there was new pieces mm. of evidence you can look at and how it's been conservative around some of the evidence areas. Mm. If we were to reflect on this in five or ten years' time, mm. would it still be relevant? You know, how quickly is that churn of mm. new information uh, allowing us to be able to continue to reflect on these current findings mm. rather than looking to sort of refresh the findings we've got? Yeah, I think, um, I think it will maintain its currency for... Um, you know the foreseeable future because I think this is an emerging area I don't think that tomorrow we won't be interested in social value or we won't be interested in the wider um, impacts uh, of sport because I think this is where the current focus is and will continue to be in the near future I think because of the transparency of a piece of work like this if it was to be repeated in the future but we were to add additional um, outcomes in we can always um, baseline back to what we've got here. So if we looked at the same outcomes again in five years' time, have we moved forwards? Um, you know, it potentially could be possible to rerun data from um, 20, uh, was it 2016, 17, again uh, for the outcomes that we then found evidence for. So I think because of the way that the research is set up, it would be possible to baseline back to this study, which is important. Um, you were asking about the work moving on and even now I'm, I'm currently working on um, on this work again um, in England but we're looking at again further outcomes that we can include where new evidence has emerged over um, you know 
the last year or two. And I think even now we're starting to see, for example, um, evidence that looks at um, lower levels of um, activity, for example. So at the moment, you know, we have a situation um, where we include uh, measurement of sport um, once a week, but evidence shows that even if people don't benefit regularly, there's still um, health benefits, for example, from doing small um, amounts of um, activity. So, you know, as, as evidence emerges around different thresholds, for example, we may be able to include um, health outcomes for different thresholds as well. So it, it's always emerging. And, and like I say, we can only go as far as the evidence allows us to, but I think it, it is moving forward all the time. And again, reflecting that sort of conversation you can have post the evidence, mm. it's probably quite an exciting uh, area to look at those thresholds to yeah. not only identify the value of sport, but the the obvious, but actually when you explain it with the evidence value of doing more sport absolutely. and the wider social impact that would have. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at the moment it's, it's quite binary. It's, you know, you do sport, you get the benefit at this level, tick. If you don't do it, you don't get it. And we know that the, the benefits of sport, both in health terms and in other ways, is not like that. It's not so black and white. But obviously, as, as the evidence emerges, we can think about different ways that we could put that monetary value on those those changes that occur for people. So it is, it is exciting and it means that that no no two pieces of work we do in this area are the same. But again, going back to the point that it's transparent what we do and, and what we include, so we can always make that comparison in a in a um, credible way, I suppose. That seems like a good point to finish today's podcast. We look forward to hearing as that work develops. I'm sure we'll be interested in the English findings and uh, having a look at how they compare to ours. And no doubt that we'll have further conversations as this work continues to grow in its importance uh, within Wales as well. So, Larissa, thank you. Great, thank you.